it's your host Jake Unger back for another episode of Typical Swish. This is episode four on the Typical Twist Network. I'm happy to be back. No upload on Tuesday. That's because the way the games fell. Uh, if I would have made an episode on Tuesday, I think the things that I would have talked about the night before would kind of have been irrelevant with how the games fell. I decided that it'd be best just to have a Thursday episode today. For the foreseeable future, I'm not sure when I'll be uploading the episodes. It's either going to be Tuesday, Thursday, or both. So you're going to have to bear with me there. It's just I'm a busy guy. There's a lot of games right now. It's hard to keep track of them all. But like I said, I'm happy to be back. Uh, I just listened to Josh, Tony, and Chris's episode. If you haven't listened to that, go check it out. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good arguments in there. I love to hear the boys get passionate about what they're talking about. So definitely go check that out. But as for me, today I'm going to be talking about all the first round series, uh, the ones that are over and the ones that are currently still going, and the ones that are going to be over after tonight. A lot of good basketball has been played over the last week since I have last spoke to you guys. The first two teams to make it out of the first round, uh, of course, are the Miami Heat. They won against Atlanta last night. They won the series four games to one. Next time they play will be May 2nd. In the second round, Boston also swept the Brooklyn Nets in four games. They're going on to the second round. Looks like they're going to play Milwaukee. We'll get into that in a little bit. Before we get into the Western Conference side of things, I just want to say thank you for everyone who has taken the time to give some feedback to me, whether that be you texting me, whether that be you leaving a review on the podcast. It all means a lot. Uh, You guys are giving me a lot of great ideas. I'm planning on implementing a couple of your guys' suggestions. In future episodes, uh, these things are just going to keep getting better. I'm really happy with how episode three turned out. Thank you again to Sheldon Johnson and Chris Mern for helping me uh, make that episode a possibility. So without further ado, let's get into the Phoenix Suns and New Orleans Pelicans series. Devin Booker's still out with that hamstring. He's going to miss the entire series. Lucky for him, his team has been able to win without him. They're currently leading the series 3-2. to two. I didn't get to watch the game last night. It was on a little too late, and I was a little too tired to stay up and watch it. Uh, But it's some great basketball being played between Phoenix and New Orleans. The competition level has risen a lot with the absence of Devin Booker. It's really even the playing field. Monty Williams has done a great job of adjusting, getting guys like Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson some of the looks that Devin Booker would be getting. Obviously, those guys lack the shot creation that Devin Booker has, but Mikel Bridges had a Probably the best game of his career last night, posting 31 points, 4-4 from 3, 12-17 overall. He also added four blocks to that, and that is some elite company. Players with four threes, four blocks, and 30 or more points in a playoff game. The list is LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, and Dirk Nowitzki. So that's the company he joined last night with his historic performance. He was able to lead the Suns to a victory without Devin Booker. Chris Paul has really stepped his game up. He's had kind of an up and down series. He either plays really bad or really good. Depends on the night in this series. Last night he put up 22 points, 11 assists uh, with only one turnover. Very impressive stuff. He was 8-18, pretty efficient. DeAndre Ayton had a good game as well. He gave you 19 points with to go along with 9 rebounds. Gave you 3 offensive rebounds. He was efficient, 8-13. A lot of discourse about DeAndre Ayton's future with the team because if you're familiar with the off-court kind of stuff with the Suns, the front office was a little hesitant to give him that rookie extension, the rookie max extension, I'm sorry, like other players in his draft class have gotten before him. 
you look at guys that were in his draft class, like Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson, Trey Young, even Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Miles Bridges, all these guys have gotten their rookie max contracts. And for some reason, the owner of the Suns is a little hesitant to give him that max contract. I kind of lean towards giving him the money because their team is so good. I would pay DeAndre Ayton the rookie max just because what he brings to the team is something no other center in the league can really do that is accessible to the Suns. Chris Paul has had a track record of making his centers look really good. As you guys know, he got DeAndre he got DeAndre Jordan on an All-NBA team. DeAndre Jordan is not deserving of an All-NBA team. All-NBA first team. That's how good Chris Paul made him look. Defensively, DeAndre Ayton brings a lot to the table. He's become a much improved defender over the last two years. He's always had the physical tools to be a good defender, but as of recently, Monty Williams and Chris Paul, I'm sure, have done a great job of helping him on his rotations and understanding his assignment. You can tell he's made a big leap there, and that's another reason why I would not hesitate to give him that $25 to $30 million rookie extension. On the Pelicans side of things, pretty quiet game for the stars of the Pelicans. Brandon Ingram had 22 points on 7 and 19 shooting, so he kind of struggled. Jonas Valanciunas gave you 17 and 14. He had a pretty good game, 7 and 11. He has some very nice post moves. Kind of ugly, but they work, and he's efficient. He's one of my favorite under-the-radar kind of centers in the league. Herb Jones, quiet night on offense. He gave you 7 rebounds, but he, he was mainly playing defense. CJ McCollum struggled, 7 to 22. 21 points. Mikal Bridges is making his life hell on the defensive side of things. Uh, he just struggles so much playing against Mikal Bridges. CJ McCollum played 40 minutes last night. That's a lot for him. You can tell he's kind of wearing down as the series goes on, but his leadership is very valuable to what this team is trying to do. Jose Alvarado played some great defense last night. Not much on offense. He gave you 12 points on 3 of 8 shooting, but... There was a play in the backcourt. He drew an eight-second call on Chris Paul, and I've never seen Chris Paul get so angry. <laughs> well, I have, but I haven't seen him get this mad in a while. He got teed up because of it. Hard to tell if Jose Alvarado is going to be in the league in five years or or what, but he's really carved out a role on this team. We'll see if he sticks around. I really love him as a player. He's got great heart, plays really hard. The type of player I'd want to have on my team. So game six of this series will be Thursday night. So I guess when you're hearing this, it'll be tonight. At 6.30, uh, we'll see if the Suns can close it out. I have a feeling they will. I think that the Pelicans have made it as close as they could, and all props to them. They've done a great job this series. But I think the Suns will close it out, and it'd be very valuable for them to do that and give Chris Paul an extra little break before round two because he's been playing a heavy minute load, which he is not used to without Devin Booker. My prediction is the Suns win tonight and move on to the second round where they will play the winner of Dallas-Utah. And the next series we're going to touch on is the Dallas Mavericks and Utah Jazz series. Right now, Dallas leads 3-2. The Mavericks play the Jazz tonight at 9 p.m. The Utah Jazz, I think it's over for them, especially if they lose tonight. They're going to break the team up. I think they need to trade Donovan Mitchell. It's just been a toxic kind of environment in the locker room. The fans aren't interested anymore. The fans are just tired of watching the same team lose in the playoffs every year. And it's going to be in the first round this year, so Luke is going to send them boys home. It's just hard to watch them play defense against Luka. He's so good with the ball. He got into the basket, ball faked like eight times. Rudy Gobert was lost, drew the foul, and won. But since the last time we talked about these guys, in earlier episodes I've mentioned that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert don't really like each other, don't enjoy playing together. But in the game that they did win, uh, they won on a sequence which was an alley-oop pass or kind of a lob to from Donovan Mitchell to Rudy Gobert to win the game. 
And it's funny because both defenders were selling out to Donovan Mitchell because they thought there's no way he's passing to Rudy Gobert here. But he did end up making the right pass. And for a brief moment, it looked like the Utah Jazz might have figured things out. That could have been the thing to turn their series around. But no, they go and drop the next game in Dallas. And it was pretty ugly. I don't have much to say about this team. I'm tired of talking about them. I'm tired of watching them. I want to see the Mavericks move on to the next round and play Phoenix because I think that series is going to be very interesting, especially with the Devin Booker injury. I hope he can come back for round two. I'm not sure what the injury status is. I'm actually going to take a look at that real quick. So it's looking like Booker could miss up to three weeks with this injury. So he's going to be out the entire Dallas Mavericks series, assuming the Mavericks take care of business, which I'm very confident they will. And assuming the Phoenix Suns take care of business, not trying to disrespect the Pelicans or Jazz. Well, maybe the Jazz, they deserve it. But it's really not looking good for those teams. It's going to be Phoenix and Dallas in the second round. And Dallas has a real chance to upset the title favorites going into the playoffs, which was the Phoenix Suns. They are not anymore without Devin Booker. So it's going to be interesting to see two great basketball minds like Luka and Chris Paul play against each other in round two. Uh, I hope Devin Booker can somehow make it back, but I'm not counting on it. Depending on Luka's health and Devin Booker's health, because Luka has played really well through his injury, and it looks like he's recovered pretty fast, so that's good news for Mavericks fans. If Devin Booker doesn't play in the series against Dallas, I think I might have Dallas coming out of that series in about six or seven, depending on what you get from role players like Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie and Maxi Kleba and those kind of guys and Dorian Finney-Smith. Spencer Dinwiddie's averaged 15 and 5 for this series, also playing very well. He's only shooting 32% from the field, but his impact isn't fully reflected on his field goal percentage. He's able to move the ball really well, keep the offense going. Dorian Finney-Smith is giving you 12 points and elite defense. Maxi Kleba is shooting 57% from three this series, which is insane. Luca, since coming back, has given you 31 points, 11 rebounds, and five assists in his couple games back. So it looks like Luca has returned to his normal form. And like I said, I think it's going to be Suns versus Mavericks in round two. The other series out west that we're going to talk about is the Golden State Warriors versus Denver Nuggets. And look, I had my doubts about the Golden State Warriors coming into the playoffs, whether or not they would be healthy enough with Draymond and Steph's injury, whether or not their team is even good enough to advance in the playoffs. There was a certain time where even I was wondering if they would be able to beat the Denver Nuggets with how hot Nikola Jokic has been playing late on in the season, uh, solidifying his MVP spot. But the Warriors just look like the Warriors of old. The Warriors just look so good. Ball movement is on point. Draymond is playing elite defense. He's locking Nikola Jokic down, even though Jokic is having a good series overall. But as much as you can lock a guy like Nikola Jokic down, Draymond has been doing that. A couple interesting stats to look at. Steph has only played 28 minutes a game in this series, which is kind of hard to believe seeing that they're up 3-1, playing him under 30 minutes a game. He's been playing very well, though. 27 points, 5 assists, 3 rebounds, 2 steals, uh, 2 turnovers a game. Very efficient basketball from Steph. It's good to see him back in his normal form after those kind of a all-around bad season. Aside from the start of the season, he struggled for a few months. But looks like old Steph is back. And it also looks like old Clay is back, giving you 24 points this series. Shooting really well from the field, also shooting well from three. Getting up 10 threes a game, making five of them. He's 50% from three, which is insane. What even more insane is teammate Jordan Poole. His emergence as a third star for the Warriors has been critical to their success. It's crazy to think that he was playing in the G League last year. 
And it's also crazy that John Morant won most improved player over Jordan Poole. I just don't see a world where, I mean, obviously John Morant is better. The improvement Jordan Poole made from last year to this year, I mean, the guy was playing in the G League and now he's averaging 24 points in the playoffs. That's that's the most improved player right there. And John ja, ja Morant, all respect to him, he's just in a different caliber. He's just a different caliber player, obviously better than Jordan Poole. His improvement wasn't as significant as Jordan Poole's, in my opinion. Andrew Wiggins is playing good this series, 14 points on 50% from three. Everyone's shooting the ball really well from three this series. Even Gary Payton is shooting 75% from three. He came in and made three threes in the first quarter a couple nights ago. Big stuff from him playing defense. Also, Jonathan Kaminga, I thought that he would be used more in this series with his athleticism, but he's only gotten about seven minutes a night. Not anything too impactful. Uh, we'll see what happens with him later on in the playoffs. Not much to talk about on the Nuggets side of things this series. It's basically just been Nikola Jokic and some role players trying to beat Steph and the Warriors. Right now, Nikola's having an insane series. He's averaging 31, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists on 55% shooting and 31 from 3. I know I did say Draymond has been locking him down, and it's hard to believe that he's been locking him down after I just read those stats. But Draymond Green has really contained Nikola Jokic. He's getting his stats, but it hasn't been within the natural flow of the offense like it usually is. He's not able to find guys like Monte Morris, Will Barton, and Aaron Gordon for easy buckets like he did in the regular season. Hence, he's only averaging five assists this series. That's what the Warriors are trying to do. They'll take 31 points from Jokic on a given night. But as long as he's not facilitating the ball at an elite level like he did in the regular season, the offense of the Denver Nuggets is pretty easy to stop. So yeah, this series is pretty much over. It's 3-1 right now. Uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if the Denver Nuggets won another game and the Warriors ended up winning. 4-2, but I could see them closing it out and winning in 5. And now it is time to talk about my favorite series out west, the number 2 seed Memphis Grizzlies versus the number 7 seed Minnesota Timberwolves. I can't believe that the Minnesota Timberwolves have blown two 20-point leads. Well, actually, they blew two 20-point leads in the same game uh, and ended up losing. They have just shot themselves in the foot a number of times. They get ahead and get the lead, but they cannot hold on to it. Carl Anthony Towns is slowly becoming one of my least favorite players in the league. He's going to take Rudy Gobert's most hated player, <laughs> most hated player award from him. The way he just his timing is off with how he says things. I mean, you've heard him in the soundbite saying things like, "Oh, they're in our house now," and then proceed to blow a 20-point lead to John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. He also did this finger wave thing a little too early in the fourth quarter. He hit a three and did the finger wave and then proceeded to blow a 14-point lead. So I'm kind of annoyed with him. He's just not asserting himself as the best player on the court because before this series, I might have agreed that Carl Anthony Towns is just a little better than John Morant. But John Morant is proving that he's a better winner. He knows what it takes to win. He won't be denied. Uh, John Morant is proven to be a better player than Carl Anthony Towns in this series, in my opinion. So right now, like I said, Memphis leads 3-2. Impressive players on the Grizzlies side of things. Desmond Bain is actually leading this team in scoring for the series. He's averaging 24 points on 47% from the field. He's making four threes a game on 46%, which is awesome. Jaws giving you 22 points. Jaws had kind of a rough series here and there, though the box score doesn't always tell the full story. He's averaging 22 points on 40% from the field. Not really MVP caliber numbers that we're used to seeing from Ja, but the Timberwolves are doing a great job on defense, on cutting him off from his spots, uh, forcing him into tough contested jumpers, 
In game five, Brandon Clark gave you 15 rebounds and nine offensive rebounds, which is so valuable to this Memphis Grizzlies team because they tend to struggle in the half court sometimes. So every extra possession that they can get their hands on is really valuable. John Moran also had 13 rebounds. Um, playoff career high for him. Not that that's too surprising. And he gave you 30 points to go along with it. Nearly a triple double because he had nine assists. He was nine of 22. Huge dunk at the end of the game. 18 points in the fourth quarter. Like I said earlier, he is so fun to watch. It's funny because when he goes up to dunk, he can't, he's not big enough to actually palm the ball with one hand. So he has to kind of palm it back and hold it with his arm when he drags it back, which is just the most athletic dunk I've seen in a minute. Head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, Taylor Jenkins, had some interesting words on the 23rd after their game. He called it one of the most poorly officiated games that he's ever watched. I'm going to put the clip in here real quick. Taylor, I mean, obviously a, a lot of fouls, you know, in this game. What was your perspective in terms of what do you think the Grizzlies from your side? You know, you can't control with the rest. What what can you control in terms of how you limit uh, all the fouls? I mean, we got to play better. But in my opinion, one of the most poorly officiated games I've ever seen in my NBA career. Um, all five of our starters are borderline fouled out in the first quarter. Um 10 plus foul difference, 40 free throws. Yeah, some things we got to clean up and get better at, but I've never seen a more inconsistent and arrogant, um, you know, officiated game. So I'll take whatever hits coming my way. I got to protect our guys. We know we've got to get better, but I mean, from the get go, it was foul, 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 inconsistency. There was actually one play where a foul whistle was blown before contact was even made. Something that drives me crazy about this guy is blames the officials for calling fouls on all five of his starters. They're all nearly fouled out because they foul so much. Jaron Jackson Jr. fouls almost every single defensive possession. Dylan Brooks reaches in every single possession. I get that it's the playoffs, and I get that you want your team to play physical, but you got to do it without fouling. There's ways to do it. Watch the Boston Celtics, for example. They played the most physical basketball in round one, and they never had to, they never really had foul trouble like that. I guess... I think Jason Tatum might have fouled out one game, but I mean, that's going to happen. You need to coach your players to not foul. Dylan Brooks almost fouls out every game for a good reason, because he fouls so much. Jaron Jackson fouls so much. John Morant fouls a lot too, but that's because he's undersized, and that's a whole other thing. But that's kind of my rant on Taylor Jenkins. So right now, Memphis leads a series 3-2. to two. Uh, I don't really have much faith in the Timberwolves. They've just blown so many leads and their players are really inconsistent. I don't trust Carl Anthony Towns anymore. Yes, I agree that he is the best shooting big man in the league. He has self-proclaimed that, which is annoying. I'm annoyed by him. Not one of my favorite players. Even though he's a Kentucky guy, not a big fan of him and what he has to say off the court. Kind of a corny player, <laughs> in my opinion. But I just don't trust him to give you enough production to win in six or seven. So I think that the Grizzlies will play the Warriors in round two. And my prediction is Golden State wins this series in six games. I love the Grizzlies, but they're just not as good as the Warriors. The Warriors have shown me that they're borderline the best team in the NBA, right up there with a healthy Phoenix Suns team and the Boston Celtics. I don't see anyone beating the Warriors out West unless the Suns can get Devin Booker back and healthy. Uh, I think the Warriors are coming out of the West. Even though I think the Grizzlies will put up a strong fight in round two, I think they ultimately lose in six. And before we get into the Eastern Conference side of things, I would like to introduce my new segment. Uh, it's called Green Light Player of the Week. 
Every week, I'm going to pick out a player who has stood out the most to me. Not necessarily a star player, not necessarily a role player. Anyone that really jumps out to me. Any player that has the green light to shoot wherever they want, whenever they want. They have the green light from the coach. I'm going to highlight some of their performances and break down some of the ways they're able to get buckets. So the green light player of the week this week is someone we already talked about, and that is Jalen Brunson from the Dallas Mavericks. Now, to a casual fan, you might have just you might just now be hearing about Jalen Brunson. But dedicated NBA fans will tell you that this guy has shown potential from his rookie season. Some of his performances that have stood out against the Jazz, uh, we're gonna talk about game one here. Jalen Brunson gave you 41 points on 60% shooting. This performance was huge and propelled the Mavericks to win game one over the Utah Jazz, who many before the series had picked the Jazz to win because of the injury status of Luka Doncic. In game two, he followed that up with a 31-point performance on 54% from the field with six assists. In game three, this is the one that Luka came back for. Kind of took a back seat, but he still gave you 23 points on 7 of 18 shooting. Not the most efficient night. This is probably the worst game of the playoffs for him. In game five, he gave you 24 points and four assists and five rebounds to go along with Doncic's 33 points and 13 rebounds. Uh, Jalen Brunson has been very impressive this entire series and is probably the most impressive player to me in the playoffs. Uh, he's able to get to his spots whenever he wants. His ball handling skills have improved from last year. He just looks more fluid in the offense. He looks more comfortable playing point guard and shooting guard. He can play on the ball or off the ball, which is very valuable to a Luka Doncic-led team. And his performance in the first round is why he is awarded this week's Green Light Player of the Week. All right, so now it's time to talk about the Eastern Conference side of things. We're going to start off with the Miami Heat versus Atlanta Hawks. There really isn't much to talk about for this series. Trey Young has been struggling heavily. The Miami Heat's defense is throwing all kinds of looks, all kinds of different defenders at him. He only averaged 15 points on 31% from the field and 18% from three. Just series to forget for Trey Young. One bright spot for the Atlanta Hawks is the play of DeAndre Hunter this series. He gave you 21 points on 55% from the field and 46% from three. This is the type of player DeAndre Hunter needs to be on offense to go along with his above average defense. He's the only player that really knows how to play defense on the Hawks, if we're being honest. But yeah, this is probably the worst series Trey Young will ever play in his playoff career. He gets compared to Steph, but the main difference between him and Steph besides obviously Steph being the greatest shooter of all time and Trey Young not being the greatest shooter of all time, uh, Steph can pass the ball and relocate and get move without the ball to get it back. Trey Young, basically, if you force him to give the ball up, he's going to pass it and go stand on the wing or corner, and he's going to be a non-factor. So that's something he needs to work on in the offseason, and hopefully he can come back better because the Atlanta Hawks are not going to be able to win without that extra ball movement uh, with Trey Young off the ball. Bogdanovich didn't play in the last game, so they were really missing his playmaking because he's the only other person on the Hawks that can really dribble and pass. They really are lacking all kinds of playmaking on this team, which makes Trey Young's life even harder and makes him look even worse. So you got to give Trey Young a little bit of slack. I mean, his team just isn't very good. Clint Capella was a non-factor this series. He averaged two points on 20 minutes a game, seven rebounds a game. Aneka Kongwu... Also didn't give you very much. 20 minutes a game with 5 points and only 5 rebounds a game. Not very impressed with these two. I expect Clint Capella to be traded in the offseason for a wing that can defend and hit shots. 
So keep your eye out for that. So keep your eye out for that. So Miami was able to win in five games. They they advanced. They were the second team to advance in the first round. They're going to be playing the winner of Philly and Toronto, which is the next series we're going to talk about. James only took uh, 11 shots today. Um, but at this point in the series, would you kind of like, kind of like to see him maybe take some more shots and like maybe help out in the office running that, that way? Um. Man, uh, you know, I've been saying all season since he got here, you know, he just needs to be aggressive and he, he needs to be himself. Um, you know, that's you know, that's not really my job. Um, you know, that's probably on coach uh, to, you know, talk to him and tell him to, you know, take more shots, uh, especially if they're going to guard me the way they've been guarding. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's really not my job. So that takes us into the next series we're going to talk about, which is the four-seed Philadelphia 76ers going up against the five-seed Toronto Raptors. And Philadelphia jumped out to a big lead early in the early in the series. They had a 3-0 lead. Uh, they won both games at home. Game three on the road in Toronto without Matisse Thibel because of the COVID vaccine restrictions in uh, Canada. But Joel Embiid was able to hit that game-winning three off the inbounds play. Nice timeout by Doc Rivers. Some good coaching from him for the first time in a while. But yeah, he called that timeout right before the shot clock violation or right before time expired. So they drew up that little play for Joel Embiid to hit that three on the wing, which gave them the 3-0 lead. But since then, everything has fallen apart for Philly. James Harden has just been nowhere to be found besides a little bit of playmaking. Joel Embiid has been struggling with that thumb injury. Honestly, right now, I could see the Toronto Raptors completing the 3-0 comeback because when you have guys on your team like James Harden, coach like Doc Rivers, infamously known for blowing leads, I would love to see this team lose in round one. Mostly because I'm not the biggest James Harden fan. They're going to have to pay him in the offseason. He's going to be probably the worst contract in the NBA if they do decide to give him that super max extension because he's already looked like he's declining. He looks like he's declining this year. So imagine paying him $50 million in five years from now, or four years from now, whatever the contract length would be. James Harden in four years is not going to be a good basketball player. He's not going to be worth $50 million. But I'm sure Daryl Morey will convince the owner of the 76ers to pay him that contract. If they lose this series, though, that's not happening. I also, I could see them not even bringing him back next season if they lose this series, which I don't, I would love to see it, but... I think the Sixers will end up winning in either five or, or in either six or seven. I would love to see it go seven, and I would love to see the Raptors win. The 76ers are just too good, and I don't see Joel Embiid going out like that. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks and Chicago Bulls series. Not much to talk about here. The Bucks have a commanding 3-1 to lead against Chicago. Chris Middleton did go down with that injury and is going to miss significant time in the playoffs, which will affect their future in the playoffs. But as of right now, they're taking care of business against Chicago. Chicago's just undermanned. They don't have the size to deal with Giannis. They don't have the defensive personnel to deal with him. And he's going to lead them to win in about five games. I'm sure this series will either go five or six. In the series, Giannis is averaging 27 points, 7 assists, and 15 rebounds. Playing absolutely out of his mind. He's stepping up in the absence of Chris Middleton. Before he got hurt, Chris Middleton was only giving you 14 points on 41% from the field. Kind of a bad series for him before he got hurt. Maybe he was dealing with an injury before he went down uh, that could be affecting his play. Who knows? The main thing I worry about with this Bucks team in round two against the Boston Celtics is Giannis will get his, but if the Celtics can stop Kyrie Irving and KD from 
winning one game in their series. How is anyone on the Bucks besides Giannis going to score points? Drew Holiday is a good offensive player, but I mean, he struggled against the Bulls. And same with Chris Middleton, but he won't be playing. Grayson Allen is not going to be shooting 61% from the field against the Celtics. He's going to struggle to even get shots off. Which brings me to my prediction of the Celtics and Bucks series. No disrespect to the Bulls again. I know, I know that they kind of had an up and down season. Uh, they're down 3-1. They're not coming back from this. Giannis is going to close it out. Before we get into that Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks matchup in round two, we got to talk about the Celtics and Nets series, the two versus seven matchup that was predicted by many to go to game seven. But Boston swept the Nets. The Nets were the first team eliminated out of the playoffs. Each game was really competitive, but Boston's defense is just, they're just too good. They're the best defense I've watched in my lifetime. I would put them up there with the 07 Spurs and the 2018 champion Toronto Raptors with Kawhi Leonard. Those defenses that I mentioned are historic. Boston's defense is historic. They were able to slow down Kevin Durant enough throughout the first three games to make him a non-factor and honestly a liability for the Nets. Kyrie kind of got off in game one and gave you 39, like I was able to talk about a little bit last week, but he was kind of a non-factor the rest of the series. Jason Tatum really stepped up offensively and defensively. He took on the task of guarding Kevin Durant one-on-one. He averaged 29 points, seven assists, and five rebounds on 45% from the field and 41% from three. Great offensive series for him, even though he had a couple, I think he had, uh, maybe game two was his biggest struggle, but defensively, on the defensive side of the ball, he guarded Kevin Durant, and not many people can even do that, and he did it well. He was able to force Kevin Durant into help defense, into some double teams, he played him really well one-on-one. He even blocked a couple of Kevin Durant's jump shots, which I've only seen happen a couple times in my life. So this series was kind of a revelation to me. Jalen Brown gave you 22 points on efficient 49%, on an efficient 49% from the field. Uh, Marcus Smart gave you 16 a game, and Al Horford gave you 13, really turning back the clock. He averaged, he was able to average seven seven rebounds a game, played insane defense. Ah, I'm kind of everywhere talking about this series because that's how I felt watching this. I wanted a good series. I wanted a seven-game series, and that's not what we got. Robert Williams came back from his injury. He only played about 15 minutes a game. Uh, He's kind of getting back in the swing of things, but he's only going to improve their defense as the playoffs go on, and they're going to look even more dominant. Uh, Not much to say. Jason Tatum's one-on-one defense against Kevin Durant was stellar. It was a little overreacted to, I think, because of the help defense that Kevin Durant had to play against. He couldn't do much one-on-one against Jason Tatum regardless of the help defense, but even if he was able to drive by Jason Tatum, he was just getting trapped immediately once he stepped inside the three-point line. So some stats for the Nets. KD averaged 26 points a game on 38% from the field. This is by far his worst playoff series ever that I've ever watched him play. Kyrie Irving averaged 21 points on 44% from the field. I mean, that's all right. He just was kind of a non-factor down the stretch in some games and he didn't even touch the ball with three minutes left uh, in game two, which we'll get into Steve Nash as a coach. That's a problem on the coaching side, not giving Kyrie the ball. Seth Curry had a really good series for him. He averaged 15 points on 52% from three 
every shot he took, I just expected to go in. And the Nets needed every single make from three. Bruce Brown probably gave you the most important performance. He averaged 14 points, uh, two assists, five rebounds. I hope they can keep him in the offseason because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He's voiced his frustrations kind of after this series. Uh, we'll see if the Nets can keep him around. I'm sure there's going to be some teams in the offseason that want to throw him some money. Same with Nick Claxton. He's going to be a restricted free agent. Well, it'll be interesting to see how much money the Nets pay him. He really struggled from the free throw line this series. I mean, 18% from the free throw line, that's a liability. And you can't be on the court for long stretches in the playoffs because they will just foul him and force him to go to the line. And when he's only shooting 18% from the free throw line, I mean, you just can't play the guy. So before we get in, before I talk about the Bucks celtics matchup, I'd like to talk about the Nets as a team going into the offseason. Where do they go from here after getting swept, after being one of the teams favorited to win the championship this year? I think the direction they need to go is, first of all, they need to re-sign Bruce Brown no matter what. They need to re-sign Nick Claxton no matter what. I know I just talked about his free throw struggles, but he's very vital to this team as a defender, as a switch defender, because he can guard two through five pretty much on the perimeter, which is very valuable. If he can work on his free throw shooting in the offseason, that'd be Nice. If he could just get it up to about 60%, that's respectable as a center. I think you got to let Goran Dragic go. You got to let Patty Mills go. They're just too small. They just have too many small guards on the team. They can't defend. Boston kind of discovered towards the end of the series that they could just take it into the paint against the Nets and they could do nothing about it with the lack of size. Like I said, I think maybe you keep Patty Mills around because he's a good little mentor for Ben Simmons that they have that little Australian connection going on. And especially with the news that Ben Simmons could have a mental block that is causing his back pain, his back injury. I don't even know what to say about that. I've tried defending Ben Simmons, but every few weeks there's just a new report that just makes you doubt his commitment to basketball, his commitment as a teammate to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I really don't know what to say about him. I hope he can come back next year and put together a good season and be the elite defensive player that he is, be the elite playmaker that he is. And just play off of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Because what the Nets are really lacking is size, defense, and playmaking. He is the epitome of all of those things. He doesn't even have to shoot the ball. He doesn't have to shoot the ball outside the paint for them. All he has to do is play make, play great defense, draw the other team's best defensive assignment. As far as trades and signings that the Nets should make, Free agency, they're going to be kind of handicapped with the luxury tax. They're already over the luxury tax. They're already paying it. So they're not going to be able to pay a player in free agency more than the veteran minimum. But they do have some trade exceptions and some first-round draft picks that they acquired from Philadelphia and the James Harden trade. A trade that I kind of put together while I was bored the other day was, <clears throat> well, two trades. I think you keep Seth Curry and you get rid of Joe Harris. Joe Harris is a nice player. He's a better defender than Seth Curry. I think Seth Curry is a better pure shooter and shot creator than him. He's getting paid $19 million a year right now, which matches up nicely with a couple guys that the Nets could use. So if you trade him and the two first-round picks you got from Philly in the James Harden trade, I think you maybe can call up the Detroit Pistons and say, hey, look, we want, we want Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant's a good perimeter defender. He's a good inside defender. He'd fit nice to Kevin Durant on the wing. He can guard taller wings and play better defense than anyone else on the Nets this year is offering. I mean, Kessler Edwards is a nice young player, but 
instead of having Kessler Edwards next year, if you could have Jeremy Grant instead of him, that would be a huge upgrade. He'd be a nice player to play off of Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons. That would help them defensively. That would help them off the ball because he can. he's a decent three-point shooter. He, have, he shot 36 from three this year. The other option, if the Detroit Pistons say no to that, which it, let's be honest, they probably will. They probably want to keep him around and they probably don't want to help the Nets out at all. The other player I think that the Nets should try to get is Jonathan Isaac from the Orlando Magic. His contract matches up with Joe Harris. I think it would take Joe Harris and a couple first round picks to pry him off the Magic. He's an improved shooter from three and he can guard one through five. He'd be in a, He'd be a great addition to this Nets team. If they're able to trade for a player like Jeremy Grant, or Jonathan Isaac, I think that would be huge for them. They just need more playmaking. They need more defense. They're not going to win a playoff series next year if they just keep the same team. You can't play ISO ball with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving all the time. And that kind of brings me into my next point with this. And my final point is, is Steve Nash the head coach of this team next year? Reports have come out saying that the players still trust him as a head coach and want him to coach them. But you can never believe anything that comes out of the Brooklyn Nets camp. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets fired and they take on a more experienced head coach. But I could also see them sticking around with him. He's had to deal with a lot. Not that Steve Nash is a bad coach. I think he's just kind of had a lot on his plate this year between the James Harden trade, Kyrie Irving missing time with the COVID vaccination situation, Kevin Durant missing time with the leg injury. On top of that, managing all the development of the young players like Cam Thomas, Daron Sharp and Kessler Edwards, making sure they're improving. It's just been a headache of a season for him, and I can see him moving on or getting fired. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving look better in an offense that's more predicated on ball movement and spacing, and if they can make some moves like getting Jeremy Grant or... I also heard another player get thrown around. I also heard that the Nets have interest in Spurs center Jakob Pertl. I really wonder if you dangled like a Cam Thomas and Dayron Sharp in a first-round pick, uh, if they would bite on a... Jakob Pertl trade, he's been one of the best interior defenders this year. Uh, it's just in the playoffs, I don't see them really using him a whole lot. He's a better defender than Andre Drummond, but he kind of provides the same problems that Andre Drummond caused. Can't switch on defense, can't really guard perimeter guys. He'd have to slim down a little bit for that. So it's just going to be interesting to see what the Brooklyn Nets do this offseason. So as I wrap things up, I'd like to finish up talking about the potential. I say potential because the Bucks still have not won their series against the Bulls, but I fully expect them to. The potential matchup of the Celtics and Bucks, and this is a great matchup. This is one that I was looking forward to. It's just too bad that Chris Middleton has to be hurt for the series. I'd love to see him play against this Boston defense. I think that they would cause a lot of problems for him. I honestly think that the Celtics could win in five against the Bucks. I just don't see the Bucks being able to score on this. I mean, they just locked up Kyrie Irving and KD in four games. How in the world is anyone besides Giannis going to put the ball in the basket? I think the Bucks will be better off on defense this series. I think they match up better on defense against the Celtics starting lineup, especially with Brooke Lopez and Giannis in the paint. They're not going to have the same looks they did. I mean, it was a super highway to the basket, let's be honest, against the Nets. They had no one in the interior causing any kind of struggle for the Celtics offensive players. That's not going to be the case when you have Giannis and Brooke Lopez manning the paint. So we'll see if the Bucks defense can hold up. I think it will. Ultimately, I think that they're going to run out of offense against the Celtics. The Celtics defense is just too good. They don't have a weak spot on defense. Every player can switch out onto any other player. I think that they're going to... I mean... If Robert Williams is fully healthy for this series, I can see them putting him on Giannis and then just having 
Al Horford come bring doubles. Uh, Al Horford, Jason Tatum bring doubles off the ball when Giannis drives to the basket. But it's a tall task to double Giannis, let's be honest. He's going to get his Giannis, let's be honest, that rhymed. Okay. Giannis is going to average probably 35 points against the Celtics defense, which is going to be very impressive. But no one else is going to be able to score. So I'm taking the Celtics in six in this one. And I don't think a lot of people in the NBA media want to admit this, but the Celtics are the best team in the NBA, and it's not even close. They have the best offense. They have the best defense. No one in the East is touching them. Uh, whoever wins between Miami and the 76ers, or I guess the Raptors, if the Raptors do come back from 3-0, neither, none of those teams are going to touch the Celtics. It, I, my prediction is going to be... My prediction right now is the Celtics versus Warriors in the NBA Finals. And that's what it's shaping up to be. Obviously, we have a lot of time before that happens. Injuries could pop up. Players could fall off. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens. But as long as the Celtics defense stays playing at this elite level, I don't think any team in the NBA can even think about touching them. So that about does it for today's episode. Uh, this has been episode three of Typical Swish. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for sticking around if you're still listening. Uh, I was going to have my cousin Austin come to Lincoln and record an episode with me this weekend and have someone else kind of come on and talk. We ran into a problem. It's not going to be able to work out this weekend. So hopefully next week we're able to bring someone on the show and talk some hoops. But until then, you can expect next week's episode to drop on Tuesday or Thursday or both. It just depends how much time I have and how much basketball I'm able to watch and kind of analyze. I hope you guys have a great Thursday. Uh, enjoy it. I'll be back next weekend. Thank you for listening. Yeah, blue face, I'm a rolly. Whole lot of ice, no gully. I'm in a place with no police. So that's your girl, she know me. I'm in a place with the homies. And they all know the drill. And they all in the field. I might put them in my whip.